Yo. 50 years of hip-hop. 50 years of hip-hop from Listener Power, KEXP. Welcome to 50 Years of Hip-Hop. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. This week, we're focusing on the year 1985 and the big sound that ruled coast to coast. Our story starts in Queens, the home of... The Ripper, a man, not a man. Known best of the whole world as LL Cool J, which naturally stands for Ladies Love Cool James. LL Cool J is one of the most successful and important figures in the history of rap music, selling millions on millions of records, earning Grammys, starring in films and TV. Nowadays, he continues to not only make music, but to preserve and promote the culture via, among other things, the Rock the Bells Festival, named for one of his classic hits. Jesus hip-hop is two turntables and a microphone, cardboard and three stripes. But it's important to remember that when he first came onto the scene, he was the one-man definition of a fierce new energy of the 1980s, as the young kids who watched in amazement at the park jams became the young lions of the day. Todd, as he was called, was already rapping at a young age. He'd come of age in the aftermath of Rapper's Delight, which made rhyme a required language in the University of the Streets. He started creating demos in his grandparents' home in St. Albans, Queens, where he'd been raised since age four. His grandfather, a jazz musician named Eugene Griffith, in an effort to keep him off of Farmer's Boulevard, gifted young Todd a guitar, plus a pair of turntables, a mixer, and an amp. At the time, a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment. His mother bought him a Korg drum machine with her tax return. LL would find his entry into the industry by way of one of his favorite 12 inches of the time, T. Rock's classic, It's Yours. Released in January of 1984, the very first single of an upstart label called Def Jam Recordings. It's yours. Electrified by that song's brash style, LL made it a point to find the Def Jam address and send in his demo, where it ended up in the NYU dorm room of Def Jam founder Rick Rubin. Rubin's pal Adam Horowitz you know as King Ad-Rock and the Beastie Boys, pulled Rick's coat to LL's demo. Rick went ahead and met with the smiling 15-year-old responsible, even though his partner, Russell Simmons, wasn't exactly impressed. Nevertheless, in fall 1984, the second Def Jam release would be LL's I Need a Beat, catalog number DJ001. That 12-inch would sell in excess of 100,000 copies, and that success, and that of LL's next single, I Want You, made a name for LL and put Def Jam in a position to secure a distribution deal with Columbia Records. I want you. Def Jam immediately signed LL and began work on his debut album, Radio, the label's first full-length release. That album's success would prove to not only be imperative to the future of Def Jam, but to the future of the genre itself. The month before Radio's release saw the release of the 1985 film Crush Groove. It was loosely based on the inception of Def Jam, the powerhouse rap label that had only just started. One brief scene, inspired by LL's first meeting with them, would prove to be the film's most memorable moment. In it, a young LL, clad in a powder blue Kangol Bermuda casual hat and matching Lacoste polo, marches into the office of the film's titular rap label. Just as auditions are wrapping up, Run DMC's Jason, Jam Master J. Mizell, fed up with auditions, reaches into his jacket for his piece. 
chill, everybody tells him. Yo, what's up, man? I said no more dishes, Yo, man. Chill. Stupid stuff. Rick Rubin, playing himself, speaks up, telling him auditions are over. He'll be come back next week. LL, flanked by his guy's cut creator, and Earl Love says one word. Box. Cut creator presses play on the boombox he's carrying and outkicks radio's lead single. 1985's I Can't Live Without My Radio. The quintessential anthem of the era, when hip-hop's most important accoutrement was the portable boombox. LL cuts right to the point. Scene in Crush Groove was for some their introduction to LL Cool J. It should rightfully be compared to game changing moments in the genre established by the runaway success of Rapper's Delight. Think of things like Run DMC, Sucker MCs. Two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhyme, so I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was death, but then it went this way. Eric B and Rakim's Eric B is president. Nas killing everybody in live at the barbecue. Nasty Nas is a rebel to America. Police murderer, I'm causing hysteria. Just moments that changed everything. And this one was all about the boombox. See, the box was the engine, providing the soundtrack to the streets, the centerpiece in group photos, proliferating and exemplifying the sound and aesthetic of hip-hop music to the masses, the iconic image that is radio's album cover is simply a close-up of a JVC RCM90, known ever since as the king of the boombox, in its deck a Pioneer C46 cassette that won't want the metal reels. As a child of the 80s, it goes without saying to me that the boombox was one of the most essential pieces to the puzzle in terms of hip-hop back when I was knee-high to a duck. But I realize that there's a generation, if not a couple at this point, who likely have no idea of what I'm talking about. So, I spoke to an authority, no less than the world-renowned DJ, record digger, and boombox enthusiast, KEXP's own Supreme LaRock, and asked him about his first box. It was actually a gift from my father, and it was his boombox. He bought it for himself, but he saw how I gravitated towards it, and I used it way more than he did, and I was like about 14, and it was like the happiest day of of my life. And at the time, like people had boomboxes, but a 14-year-old kid didn't have one. You know what I'm saying? I was like the only kid in my hood that had one. And back then, our thing was Saturday rolls around, we get an all-day bus pass, and we just roll through the city. And we'd go downtown to like 3rd and Pike and hang out or, or the Seattle Center where everybody was into b-boying and whatnot. And so I, I felt like I was the man. You know what I'm saying? Like, with a boombox and it was so special to me and uh when i i remember going downtown and having it and then another dude is coming down the street and he had one and he, of course he was probably like three to five years older than me right but his was giant and his blasted mine out like and then i felt i felt small i was like oh okay so then it became like not necessarily who had the biggest, but who had the loudest. But the bigger ones were the louder ones, right? And then so a few years later, LL came out. 
can't live without my radio because that was the thing at the time. You couldn't live without your radio. Everybody had boom boxes. So I'd start going to like these sales where they'd have car stereo sales. And there was this warehouse out on Aurora. I used to go out there and look at the six by nine speakers and the Kenwood decks and all this. And I went in one day and they had this display of boom boxes. And it was like this clearance warehouse. So they were cheaper than, you know, like silo or wherever you're going. They were cheaper. And so check this out. Go in. They have this huge, big-ass boom box, and it played records. Wow. I've yeah, seen I like, those. Come on, yeah. man. I was like, come <laughs> on. And I, I mean, man, I, would, I, I swear I stood there for an hour and just looked and stared at this thing. And then uh, – then I remember went home and told my parents, I got to have this thing. And, and my, my birthday rolled around. They got it for me. And I still have it. But it became kind of the who had the biggest boom box and the loudest. And then it kind of reminded me of LL's, I think it was his second album, Bigger and Deffer. And it kind of went hand in hand with, with the boom box. You're putting the box down on the curb and everybody's listening to it. Everybody's vibing on the sounds. Everybody's checking out your box. Do you feel like you saw kind of a change in how people came together and enjoyed music outside because of that? Definitely. The thing with the boom boxes is it was also the height of the B-Boy era. So that made a lot of sense that you'd bring a box out and everybody would be kind of like a little block party for yourself, right? Everywhere you gather around and, and you get down. And then even that was kind of fading in the mainstream. Like at one point, like I think everyone, their mom and their mailman were breakdancing. The boombox era is 180 from today, where people can be isolated in their own worlds, listening to music on demand via subscription-based digital streaming platforms on their noise-canceling AirPods. Instead of fueling isolation, and encouraging endless algorithmically guided feedback loops, the preeminent street-level musical technology of that time was a communal experience, something that brought a village together, often to discover sounds they'd never heard before. Then I remember like getting on the bus one day, and a guy had a Walkman and showed it to me, and I was floored by that. And then I thought, oh, like this is the new, the new shit. Like, you don't need to have a gigantic... Now they're going to who has the smallest, most compact you can put in your pocket. But with that, you you wore headphones, and it was just for you. And it just strikes me that the era of the boombox was just so much more of a collective energy, and it dovetailed with with people enjoying themselves outside in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's real special. Do you do you like? I mean, do you miss that energy? Definitely, I try to keep that alive. I try to keep. Honestly, I try to keep all that 80s hip-hop energy alive at all times. Like, come on. I love that energy. It was fun. Like, and we're missing it. We're missing it, man. It sucks. You DJ out. I mean, it's just it's just very different these days. Very much so. People want to they want to hear the song they know on TikTok, and they only want to hear that 10 seconds they know of the song. And those okay. are the and they'll get excited for a brief second, and then they're back to just being numb. Allow me to quote a eulogy for the boombox, a 2009 NPR article. 
The boxes had to be big to make that bass boom. The speakers in early boxes had extra large magnets to push all that air around, and they were housed in heavy metal casing to deal with the vibrations from all the bass. Fab Five Freddy said, I remember some boxes so big, they required 20 D-sized batteries to an already heavy box. So these boxes were so heavy that some cats that would carry their boxes all the time, they would develop massive forearms and biceps. So you were rolling up with the with the giant box and putting 12 inches in it? Yeah, it was a Sharp VZ uh, 4000, I think. It's a real, it's like one of the coveted boom boxes right now. Like people want this one. And yeah, and then I and then I think back about that too. I'm like, man, I was 16 years old. I would carry this gigantic thing around town all day long. Like how heavy is that joint? Put the batteries in it. Right. And a and a bag of records. Right. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't have no dough. You know, I was a kid. So whatever way I could get money, I'd buy batteries and then I put them in the freezer. Because I heard you could extend the life. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't even know if that's true. I don't think anybody knows if it's true or in not. In the life of the batteries, if you freeze them. Right. And I would keep them in the freezer. Then I put them in the box, and when I come home, take them out, put them in the freezer. That boombox lifestyle may be a thing of the past, relegated to collector shelves and high-ticket eBay auctions, but the sounds of the era still can thrill us. LL Cool J's anthem, his love letter to block-rocking portable tech remains. What was what was your first impressions when you first heard LL? Oh, I loved LL. I was at Music Menu the day the record came out. I was in the store when they came out and were putting it up on the shelf. And I bought it, you know, the day it came out. But uh yeah, I love I mean I've I've always been an LL fan. LL's dope, man. LL's crazy. Like you have to give him his, his credit, his no, props. No question. Wow. You have to. <laughs> And he's such a steward of this of the culture to this day. He's doing more than anybody. So as we celebrate 50 years of hip-hop culture, maybe to honor it, unplug from your bubble. Try to remember how it felt to be outside with your people, with the bass loud enough to feel in your chest. You know, the suburbs were made for those who needed quiet by 8 p.m. Me, I want to live in a city that sounds alive. So call your posse, go get your Bluetooth speaker, Grab the batteries out the freezer. Turn that thing up. This episode of 50 Years of Hip Hop was written by me, Larry Mizell Jr., and edited by Emily Fox. Big shouts out to my man, Supreme LaRock, for sharing his experience. We'll see you next time on 50 Years of Hip Hop on Listener Powered, KEXP. Hey,